This is part two of a two-part podcast. Put Paul's brain on your plot. Do you have a hunk of land but don't know where to start? Do you have a world-changing permaculture idea and you need some feedback? Do you feel like the guy in overalls may inexplicably hold the keys to all your wildest permaculture and homesteading dreams? Well, you're probably wrong. But if you want to give it a go anyway, you can hire Paul for a consultation. He will be all yours for a whole entire hour. Schedule your Paul conversation today at permies.com slash consult. permies.com slash consult. So, okay, here I am. You get an, an hour of consultation. I'm not sure how much I've given you so far, some. But um, uh, let's, let's get on with the consultation thing, because uh, usually it's an hour of consultation, and I'll answer whatever question that you have. And um, what would you like to know from me? Do you want me to look at things and bitch about them, or what? Well, you keep saying hugel beds, and I feel like Boy. I used the land that I have. I'm wondering about would would you, if it was you, would you go out? I have other acreage. Would you go out and get dirt and get logs and bring them here to build those massive hugels? Wow, that's a great question. I'm looking around at the trees that you have. Maple, pine. What kind of maple is that? Look how dark the She's leaves pretty, are. pretty, huh? Oh, man, that must be some kind of fancy maple. Because of the, because yeah. how dark. But what I would do, well, first of all, that maple is right underneath a bunch of power lines, and I imagine the power company has some philosophies about how they want you to care for that maple. I mean, look, it's almost touching the power lines. You know. So I might get some branches. I might get some reasonable amounts of wood off of that if I scurry up there and take the stuff that's, you know, prune it nicely so it's not close to the power lines anymore. Well, okay, I'm gonna, I want to talk a little bit about my first ever garden mm-hmm. in, in Missoula. The soil was about a half an inch thick huh. on top of giant river rocks and river rocky gravel. Wow. And so basically what happened is is that when Lake Missoula drained, then um, it kind of scrubbed the floor of any kind of soil. Mm-hmm. So every house is kind of built on this layer of giant rocks mm-hmm. and rubble. And so um, I ended up making raised beds. And, mm. I, and I went and got the rocks and I brought them there uh-huh. to, to make the raised beds. And then I had two truckloads of very weedy topsoil delivered. And when I say truckloads, I mean dump truckloads. Wow. So I had um, 20 cubic yards of topsoil. And this particular yard had a lot of trees. And um, I was experimenting, as I'm obsessed with experimenting, with the idea of taking plastic margarine containers and burying them in my raised beds, Mm -hmm. you know, cup like a cup. Well, the idea is, is that in the winter, they would fill up with water, and then um, they would kind of wick the water back out to the rest of the garden. Hmm. But I didn't like this idea because I kind of felt like everything in the cup would become anaerobic and gross right. and funky and yucky, and it would poison my growies. Oh. And so I thought, that's a terrible idea. And so I never 
did it, but I kept trying to come up with ways. At the same time, um, I had all these giant Norway maples in my yard, mm -hmm. and um, I did go and cut some of the branches out in order to get more light to my gardens because uh -huh. everything was so shaded and I needed more sun to my gardens. Um, but I rented the place and the landlord was only comfortable if I took out a few branches. Uh -huh. So um, and it, I guess the big thing is is that um, at the time I didn't know about hookaculture, but now I do. And I may have been a little more taking a lot more branches and I and moving those into yeah. my beds to rot. Okay. And I might have mounted my raised beds even higher, mm -hmm. you know, and, and things like that in hindsight. So here you are, that lovely, beautiful, stunning maple tree needs to be pollarded yeah. just so that it doesn't ever touch those wires. And at the same time, uh, maybe in a different year, take some of the stuff that's down low uh -huh. out um, because it's, well, too low and, and, and it's in the way. Um, I also kind of think that with the chickens and stuff that you have, that uh, either raccoons or chickens can get up there onto that lowest branch uh -huh. and, and escape. And it's like, okay, so right. so boy, that, that tree is about to go through an adventure. Uh -huh. <laughs> but then take the innards of that tree or take the branches of that tree to be the innards of your future mm -hmm. hookaculture. So that would be one source. Okay. Those conifers over there, is that a pine? What Those are shore pine. Yep. Shore pine. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think I think they could be a shitty kind of innards for a hugel culture. Okay. Um, there's what kind of pine is that That's one over the there? That's ponderosa. Really? That's got to be the happiest ponderosa I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> wow! That, look at all of the bushiness. Is that is that on your property? It is on my property. Um, I had my rams in that area over the winter when I had my horses here I had my oh. rams over there and so there's a lot of manure Man. and they got a fair amount of water and then the other that explains why the uh, why it's so happy yeah. look at that is the brushiest ponderosa pine ever we, so. al we also have the geese have their pond underneath that other tree that other pine tree which is another shore pine like these guys yeah. and so that's part of why it's doing so well is the water is always being in you know, nutrients. Well, I mean, okay. So as I kind of feel like you're, you're saying what to do inside this garden and these trees are all outside of the garden. And, um, my first thought is to start hacking them up and I would want to probably take some of those shore pines, especially the ones under those wires completely out, build a hugel culture and then plant something perennial in there, mm. which, which by the way, I I want to put into a podcast that I recently read uh, Mark Shepard's book, Restoration Agriculture. Uh -huh. it, it is excellent. It's like, um, it's it's like how to how to you know explore permaculture again. 
like like with a more modern perspective mm-hmm. it's it's like um if you've read all the permaculture books and you're kind of like yeah i read them all mm-hmm. you haven't read this yeah and it's like um, uh what a what a an excellent beautiful uh, we've I don't know. I need to do a whole podcast just about restoration agriculture and um, probably even with Mark Shepard. Um, that would be so cool. Yeah. And so um, that would that would be fantastic. Uh, all right. All right. What I want to do is um, because those those pine trees, how much food do they provide for you? I actually do eat the pollen anthers and they're very tasty. And they, they I think this, those trees are lovely. They They protect us a lot. We have extreme winter and the wind comes through here very strong okay and so that gives us some protection they also keep them and the maple keep this area pretty much in shade all the time which is very much appreciated by the geese and the chickens okay and i'd like to make a little seating area over there where we could sit and be in the shade because when the sun is on it is very hot well all right so they're providing this teeny tiny speck of food yes but they're taking up a lot of real estate. Yes. At the same time, they kind of like to poison everything else around them. They do. And I mitigated for that um, a bit by adding a lot of organic material in their area. And I didn't expect much to grow there either. And part of it is it's so shady and part of it is because I didn't water much. But you can see the, the mini hoogles that I kind of built over there aren't really producing anything. Yeah. They were producing more, but the... When they, everything got grazed down, that stuff didn't come back. Okay. So what I want you to do is to, because you're like, would you haul in logs? And, oh, man, I, I kind of feel like the moment you haul in logs, you kind of lose a lot of your eco points for for doing this project. Okay. Um, so I want to start with the wood that's here. Okay. And I kind of feel like, well... The power company is going to come and basically hack those to death soon anyway. Because look how close they are to those power lines. I mean... Right. I need. I do need to get up there and prune. I think I might be... The power okay. company is going to prune for you here real soon now. Yeah. I think I might be kind of okay on eco points because I'm... Or maybe I'm even worse. But I am going to my property every day pretty much and with a pickup truck. And so I can come back with logs and dirt. Okay. Bit by bit. It's not going to be a massive hoover okay. like you have. Well, that's how I built those because they're at base camp. Those hoogles that yeah. you see, that was just a solid rock. Just yeah. a solid rock shelf. Uh-huh. Like where you walk. Yeah. Um, in fact, in fact, when you walk, do you, don't you see the, the walk, bedrock? You walk on beautiful, smooth bedrock. It's really awesome to see the bedrock. So it's like the whole shelf was yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, and so we brought soil from the lab down in, mm-hmm. in the Millennium Falcon, that giant dump truck. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. I was there. Okay. Oh, you were there when you we, there when when we built some it. of it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. And um, and then we piled it up and then basically ignored it for several years. Uh-huh. But, the you know, it, it was already starting to do its job. It was starting to grow some things. I think we planted some uh, grasses on it the very first year, um, a kind of tall fescue um, mm. and uh, a ruminant-friendly nice. endophyte 
tall fescue. Okay. It was very expensive, but um, so basically it has a fungus that grows inside of it, and it's a kind of fungus that is like no, most tall fescue has an endophyte as a fungus growing inside of it, but it makes your ruminants sick. And so this had oh. something in it that would not make ruminants sick. Oh. And so, but it grows very, very well because of the endophytes. It's, it's, um, it grows usually out, competes other grasses. But all right, all right, all right. Just so that we had something growing on those. And, um, uh, because we weren't going to irrigate. And we didn't for many years. All right. Blah, 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 blah. The key is, is we brought in soil and um, the wood. Uh, the wood came off of the base camp property. We didn't yeah. haul wood from the lab, but we could have. Um, but you're going to bring, okay, so let's say you bring wood in. I, I'm looking at those trees and I'm thinking like for a property this small, I'll want to grow more food. Yeah. And part of it is, is like I want to grow apples and peaches oh, and yeah. apricots and nuts and um, uh, stuff like that. And it's like they're not going to grow anywhere near under the pines, those yeah. trees, those, sure. those, those pines. And um, and so I'm kind of thinking at the same time, if I cut those pines totally down, I can build a hookah culture over their stumps. Mm-hmm. And hookah culture with their their branches. Now, of course, I'm kind of looking at that thinking like um, I would hope that you could find um, 20 uses for that wood before putting in a hookah culture as well. So, all right, you know that's so that's what I'm saying is I'm I'm eyeballing your wood over there, thinking like that can go inside of a hookah culture. But you know, and I say build a hookah culture a minimum of seven feet tall yeah. and you watch these shrink but they didn't have a lot in the way of bones on the they inside. They didn't have much they're just little branches just dead okay. branches that were lying around and a lot of nitrogen. So I would say I say build them at least seven feet tall but you notice how tall I build mine. Yes and if I want to build something that high it seems like I'm going to have to go get dirt which I can do I don't think I can excavate this more. I mean, I've already gone down a few inches in the beds. I could go down deeper. I did find a rock patio right there when I was digging. So, wreck <laughs> <laughs> so, um, patio. Okay. Funny. Uh, <laughs> I was like, why is it okay. so hard here? I I think that um, I would probably start by trying to. I mean, the other thing is, is it's like it's a big, big project, but there's also a BB for it. Yes. And um, there's a BB for bigger ones too. And so I would start by trying to make one that is glorious. Okay. But if you build one per year, yeah. Then after seven years or so, you have tons of them. And would you try to start by doing a privacy perimeter, like building the berm along the property line so that I'm shielded from the neighbors? Ooh. And the wind. I mean, that's part of it is we have massive winds. And so by protecting ourselves in any way from yeah. the wind. I would say, yeah, around the, I like the idea. It's like I can see where you've got like a fence. Yeah, I built a fence out of horse panels and pallets. And then I threw my mud and muck up on the panels, uh, onto the pallets to build kind of a cob or sort of hoogle-ish wall. 
and then mm-hmm. if I did, if I brought the horses in again, I would end up with more mud, and I just throw it up along those pallets. That does make a bit of a privacy wall, and you can. I did was growing a lot of stuff on there, but it always been grazed off now. But this bed, you can see where the squash is coming out. That's all coming out of that bed of mud and muck that I threw up in the winter, and the sunflower seeds are growing on it. And then when I water, I can actually use the hose full blast because I just aim it at the pallet and it splashes all over the place so I can water more quickly by running the hose wide open and I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, disturbing my land. I can just aim it right at the wood. So when we built the hugelkultures uh, at uh, base camp, Mm -hmm. we built them originally 12 feet tall. Wow. And they are very narrow. Okay. So they added a ton of gardening space. So like, mm. um, I think they might only be possibly seven feet wide. Okay. They're very narrow and tall, mm-hmm. and that's because of all the bones on the inside. But now they are about nine to eleven feet tall. So they aren't as tall. But but we've got like trails up some. We've got scaffolding on some, so you can kind of like walk around. And we're every year we're trying to improve the trails and the scaffolding so we can get access to more and more and more of the growing space. But now imagine. Like around your perimeter here, if like let's say those let's say these three trees are not here at all. Now, granted, I know why you have them there, and they are dear to you in a way. <laughs> it's all right. But um, let's imagine on your outer perimeter that you build a hugo culture that is twelve feet tall, yeah. like as tall as I built mine. Mm-hmm. Then um, it's not as tall as a full-on berm, which we recommend to be 15 feet tall. Okay. Only you have uh, halfway down on each side, you have a path that's eight feet wide. So the whole thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 The whole thing has a footprint that's 30 feet wide. That's going to be tough to squeeze into the city. <laughs> that's going to be tough to squeeze in on this lot. For sure. That's okay, So. Though. However, we didn't have the space for that. Yeah. We just had this narrow little shelf next to the double wide. Mm-hmm. And so we went ahead and built something 12 feet tall um, and very narrow. And so I'm trying to say, imagine if you built something like that here. And then you would have either scaffolding or trails or whatever. But... It would definitely more than double the growing space where it is, which is, you know, you can see it now, like, like how much growing space we have. And imagine like we had this seven foot bed of rock and what little we could grow in that. Mm -hmm. And now things are growing so lushly. So, um, I'm, so if you did that 12 feet tall, it'll eventually shrink down to, let's say, nine or ten feet uh-huh. but imagine all of the wind it would block yes it would make a huge difference it, it would it would it would do it would block the wind so much better than these three trees that are currently yeah. your primary wind blocking they are my system. only protection so um what i'm trying to say is is that and and even the well the maple so that is a fascinating maple. How does it get such dark leaves? I don't know. It could be because of the poopies underneath it. <laughs> like uh, I'm looking at the size of the leaves, and maybe it's a sugar maple. I was wondering if it was. It might be. 
That'd be really cool. In which case, I'd leave it and I'd tap it. Tap but it, yeah. still, you've got that whole thing with those wires up above. That is going to be challenging. And it's casting an enormous amount of shade all over your garden. I would say... Like, okay, it looks like maybe this one shot of the tree uh-huh. is trying to dodge the wires. Yeah. Maybe leave that and trim the rest. Trim out okay. this one branch. Uh-huh. Keep that tree. And your new hugel culture will kind of travel on the other side of that cool. tree. So you get all the windbreak action of the big hugel culture and this thing will shoot roots up inside your hugel culture and yeah. drink deeply. That'd be cool. Then at the same time it's going to not cast nearly as much shade. Like you'll you can try to get it to go up higher and um uh be able to have more leaves and make more sugar. Uh-huh. Um and you can tap it. Wouldn't be a huge sugar maple operation but but it'll be enough. Yeah, it might count towards my BB. It's a perennial that was already here. Ooh, right. Oh, good thinking. All right. Now, let's say you've got a perennial. And where we're at, we're, it's flat. This is... This is very flat. Ultra flat. And so what we would be doing is adding texture to the landscape. And you get you get frosts here. How cold does it get in the winter? It can be zero degrees. Okay. Here in Bickleton. All right, zero Fahrenheit. Yes. And um, uh, you have lots of water from a hose. We have a well. But you have. Okay. We do have a fair amount of snow. I think we get about, um, we hope for 13 inches of precipitation in a year, Mm -hmm. but we are often under. Okay. All right. So, pretty dry country. And I imagine that in the summer, very little. Precip. No, pretty much no precipitation, although it did rain yesterday, which is very unusual for summer. Okay. And uh, having some shade is actually really nice. I mean, it's the sun is baking. Um, anytime it's not cold, it's often hot. Okay. All right. All right. And and it's like once you've built these hookah cultures, I mean, you could load them up with 50 different yes. trees. Yes. And then as long as you... And then for the first couple of years, you're gonna you're gonna irrigate everything lots and lots and lots to help mm-hmm. the soil, and then later you choose whether you want to irrigate or not. But but basically the big thing is is that if you're gonna go away for a couple of weeks to like the PTJ, then um, the gardens will be fine. Yes. And so you won't have to irrigate them. But I'm I'm gonna give you advice. I'm giving you advice that you may not not want to hear, and that is to take out at least those trees there. And uh, I might even be, I, I definitely be looking at those two over there, all the conifers. I'm, ha- I'm really struggling to want to keep conifers on such a small lot. Yeah, okay. And so um, then I would want to do hugelkultur somehow. And I think one delightful way is to um, dig down mm-hmm. and you add the wood in and it's like you don't have to dig down very far okay. and you come up with enough soil to, to slap up on top of it. If you okay. want to import some soil, that's fine. And if you want to import some logs, that's fine. Um, naturally, with logs like some of the ones I'm looking at, I'm, I think of like, hey, you want to build a wafati or something? Yeah. You know, but you're not going to build one here. Um, 
Have you ever wondered whether a particular book was really good or just so-so, and if you could trust the reviews online? When it comes to books related to permaculture, Permies has a large list of reviews for over 100 books. Perhaps you're considering a book for yourself or a friend, or you're just curious about what's out there. Stop by permies.com forward slash book and take a look at the book review grid and read some honest reviews, and hopefully you'll find the next book to add to your collection. All right. So there, I and then on the inside, I would go with um, possibly hugo cultures that are more in the eight to nine foot range, okay. and they'll eventually shrink down to something in the uh, six to seven foot size. But um, and then make it so that you can walk around them. But I, I, I would not be concerned about wind at that point. Now at the same time, one of the things you'll have done is you will have created a giant frost pocket. When the cold air comes down, yeah. there's really nowhere for it to go. And so, I don't know, I'd, I'd have to have an opening somewhere where mm. it's like all my cold air can go out that way. Okay. And so, um, at least when it's like, the edge of the growing season or winter or something like that. And um, so in making a design for this property, I would make these large cultures probably like which way does the wind dominantly blow? It always comes from the southwest. So it comes from over there. Sometimes in winter it'll hit us from the north, but very rarely. So I would say that I would want to kind of start the hookah culture over there okay. and wrap it around yeah, and then have an opening on this end okay. where we're sitting. So wrap around the, the, from the, the east through the south to the southwest and have an opening on the north. Right. Okay. Right. And so that way you don't end up with a lake of cold. Right. It will drain to some degree, even though everything is kind of flat. And since the house is, house is on the north side, it'll protect the house from the weather. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. But um, I would say that we'll start with that design. Pick your spot for where you want to make your giant hugel culture first. And then... Um, uh, and it's going to go ahead and embrace that it could take many years. But maybe maybe you'll have a year when you have coin for an excavator or you know somebody who has an excavator mm-hmm. and wants to trade or I don't know what. And yeah. then it's like... That would be amazing. This year we're going to finish it. Yeah. You know, like we're going to finish it in a day or something like that. Yep. With an excavator, you can. Well, keep in mind, Sepp Holzer... Um, hired, I think it was uh, two excavators and two dump trucks, uh-huh. and he built uh, nearly a kilometer of hugel culture in about nine days. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> and with that equipment, that same equipment, he built a giant lake of a pond. Yes, and really uh, cool. and a bunch of other stuff. So it's kind of like uh, it goes fast when you've got an excavator it goes yeah. really fast but um well i came i came out to your um to your place and you had your excavators and i watched you build ponds and swales for the world domination gardening video and i got to drive the big excavator got to drive rex your excavator 
And after that, I went home and I rented an excavator in my town and on my own property built ponds and swales and rocked my whole road just because <laughs> I, I, I found that I could. I thought it would be too hard and too scary and too expensive. But after doing it at your place, I, I felt that I could and I went home and made real changes on my property just from the courage I got being at your place. That was that was uh, for that event wasn't it wasn't it free didn't we do it as a free event like yes it was free something like if you backed the kickstarter and um you were one of the first people to say something or i don't remember what it was it was free you fed us and you let us and you gave us a lovely place to stay what? No, not for that one. I remember specifically okay. saying, it's 5 o'clock, get the fuck off my land. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I took some pleasure in, in saying those words. Okay. But it was a free event. I don't think I fed people. And I think that at 5 o'clock, I kicked everybody out. Okay. And uh, uh, I don't know where you guys stayed. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was, I think, wasn't that like our first year there? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, it was. It uh, was about seven years ago. No, ten years ten ago. Years I've ago. owned that for ten years now. Wow. And um, and I want to talk about all the things, all the beautiful things from just the last year, too, because I feel like I haven't yes. been making very many podcasts. You've done so much on your property. It's really amazing. There's, there's lots happening, and it's it goes faster and faster with every year when you get more and more of your infrastructure built. But um, uh, there's so much to talk about about that. But we're talking about your property right okay. now. All right. Big ass hugel culture all the way around. Okay. Um, steep sides. Yes. You're going to have to use scaffolding or narrow trails or something to be able to get up it. Mm -hmm. um, I love the scaffolding that you have at your place. It's so fun to scamper up the hugel cultures. And all the little garden beds that are on the thing, you, on the on the side of the hugel, you can go run up the little steps and run along and find a place to gather kale or get potatoes or sit up on top and look at everything. It's really neat. So um, uh, when I when they talk about when we build talk about the trails and the scaffolding, because every once in a while the booths ask me how do you, how do we fertilize this? And I say, Oh yeah, we put. <laughs> With the scaffolding, and they're like, that doesn't make That's carbon. any sense. But what it is is that you run up to the top of the scaffolding, and then you can pee on the top <laughs> of the hugel bed. And the pee eventually, the fertilizer that you put up there, everything will be growing really great up there. But eventually, all that are all of that nutrient will work its way down in time. Yes. So, but. Um, I have never caught you out there peeing, but my well, guess is is that you do that. You have so much foliage, tall foliage, up on the top of your hugel beds that there's a lot of places a girl can pee <laughs> on top of the hugel beds. All right. Do you do you just uh, uh, do freestyle or do you use one of the contraptions? I just pee in a spot where there's lots of plants so nobody can see me. Okay. Okay. So you freestyle. Freestyle. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Um, we've got. Brand new contraptions, uh, either they're brand new in their original packaging or they have been sterilized and put into a cellophane thing and with the word sterilized written on it. And um, I don't know if women are using it or not. I've um, heard that a lot of the girls like those. Yeah, that it, it provides privacy and stuff. It's been been pr a pretty big, big hit. I think another day we should pr make a podcast about um, our moon boxes. I think yeah, our moon boxes are pretty really cool. that's a really sweet thing that you do. 
I think, well, it's not just me. I think some women have contributed to him, but I think I've, I think I've contributed probably 80% or so of what's in the moon boxes, and some other women have contributed the rest. And so, which I'm glad for, because why should a guy be the person <laughs> doing this? But okay, fine. All right. Um, big hugel cultures around the perimeter and smaller ones on the interior. Okay. Plant lots of perennials get your perennial systems going which with your sunchokes you're getting them going i mean mostly i see sunflowers like like somehow what why so many why sunflowers so many sun you sunflowers. just like sunflowers that much so one of the things i do when i plant seeds is i put sunflower seeds buckwheat seed peas and a lot of other large seeds that in with my lettuce and carrots so that they will help those things to emerge and I can eat those microgreens as I'm waiting for my carrots and lettuce to get going. Okay. So the reason I have such a proliferation of sunflowers is because I got behind. I planted a lot of sunflower seeds with the idea of eating them as I was waiting for my carrots and kale to get going. And then once the sunflower has gone past the seed leaf stage, it's not very yummy, the little <laughs> microgreen. The microgreen is nutty and sweet and delicious when it's just the seed leaf. But if you wait too long, it starts to be bitter. And so as I got distracted and did too many other things, these guys got ahead of me. And so I decided they were among my crops. And so I've been watering them with the idea of being able to harvest their seed. And I really love them. I love watching them every day. They they face the sun when the sun comes up and they follow it and then they face down towards the west when the sun goes down which I think is really neat and because today's cloudy they're kind of they're just kind of all facing this way yeah Yeah. (laughs) but I was hoping when I knew you were coming I was thinking that they just might all open up for you and it looks like they have yeah they're all they're facing us Uh instead of the sun look the sun's over there guys sort of another thing I kind of I mean I, I know about the pollinators but I didn't really think about it but they have been providing so much pollen there's they're just covered in bees. There's like a little honeybee on just about every one when I come out here. Yeah. So that's something that I wasn't really planning for, but I'm really glad that it's there. And then I have sun chokes in there also. They haven't flowered yet. Okay. So is that sun chokes right there? Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. So they're they're, they're a little later. stingy about flowering <laughs> compared to sunflowers. Yeah. So, um, all right. I've, I, you know, basically the answer I gave you is the answer I kind of give to everybody. So okay. it's no surprise. You know, usually it's like put a big ass berm around the perimeter and then put hugel cultures on the inside. But I'm kind of hugel culture centric and I want, and, and whenever anybody makes a hugel culture like the one we're looking at right there, it's like, really? <laughs> Well, that's it. That's your. You're gonna call that a hugel culture. Well, it's, at least it's above ground. It is the principles of the hugel culture. I've done that that technique a lot, where I make a, a mini or possibly wimpy hugel bed, and then when if if you let it go for a season and then tear it apart, you've created an enormous amount of soil. So yeah. I took kind of crappy materials, left them in a heap grew plants on them and then if I tear that apart I'll have a ton of really good soil I think what I'll do is actually just add to it every year after I harvest the potatoes I'll start adding more material and just keep making all of these piles bigger and what I want to suggest is make a full size proper hugel culture from the very beginning okay. with steep steep sides 
And so good bones on the inside. Yeah. And all along the road so that I can't be seen by the neighbors and the wind won't be getting me. What do you think about doing Well, this? I was going to say, and then plant perennials. Because perennials. The, the system that you're talking about where it's like, and then next year, I'll put, I'll make it two feet higher with more wood and more soil. And, uh-huh. and it's like, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, which is great because now all your annuals that are underneath it get flooded um get covered with so much material that that you know anything that might be a weed is going to be gone and then whatever is left behind but i kind of feel like if you started it off at nine feet this year uh-huh. you would probably get a bunch of volunteer potatoes next year because i the one i'm looking at right now is all potatoes there's some other stuff going on i can't quite make it out from here but um you know, but yeah, if nothing else, volunteer potatoes next year. Yeah. Whereas if you're going to cover it all up with two feet, any potatoes aren't going to make it that far. Right, for sure. I would harvest the potatoes first. But I think it would be nicer to start with a full-size hugel bed. Would you have some of these perimeter berms be a berm shed? It would look the same from the outside, but then I'd have a place to stash my gear or put my horses over winter. Ooh. Or keep my chickens warm. And look at look at that nice straight wood over there, begging <laughs> to be part of a project. A lot of pine, yeah. We have yeah. a lot of pine, a lot of oak. Not oh. on this property, but I have well, it available. I gotta say, the berm shed, which, by the way, we made a whole movie about making the yeah, berm shed. Yeah, so awesome it's a movie. I think it's permies dot com slash berm. But um, boy, that's working out great for us, and we just want to make berm sheds everywhere. So you've seen our berm shed. And it would be the best horsey barn. It Because the would horses be. would be warm and protected and still have plenty of air flow. I think it's warm, warmer in the winter than a regular shed. Yes. And cooler in the summer than uh-huh, a regular shed. Definitely. So, yeah, I think pretty much everything would love berm shed action, in, including human beings. So, um... Man, yeah, I, I, I think it'll be great. I, yeah, um, they go together pretty fast. Um, they cost almost nothing if you can provide the logs, which, you know, that's not enough logs right there, but it would be a start. Yeah. Um, I mean, you would have to get the wood in, but once you get the wood in, then, then, because the other thing is, is that we kind of use the, this pole wood, mm-hmm. and we try to harvest it out of, um, our property in a responsible way, but we use the pole wood for like the back and the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like about four to six inches in diameter, but we have, like, like when you, when you're up at the lab, and you look around, my guess is you cannot see more than 100 feet in any one direction. You can't. It's a dense forest. Yeah. And so, um, and a dense forest translates into wildfire fodder, although I think wildfires aren't going to like our land because everything is so, all year long, it's pretty lush. Mm -hmm. And so, at the same time, it's just good forestry practice to, to pull out a bunch and thin it. And plus, we'd like to get rid of all that conifer wood and replace it with, maybe not all of it, you know, get rid of 95% of that conifer wood and replace it with something that's going to be more deciduous. Okay, so we have lots of, do you have 
lots of that kind of wood? I do have lots of pine. We have, um, we've had a beetle kill problem on my property. Mm. And so every year I get, I could probably take 20 or 30 trees down that were, that are going to die anyway. Take them down while they're still in good condition. Okay. All right. So, so you might be able to make like a single 12 by 12 cell pretty easily, but you could go for something, um, bigger. I could. I could get some neighbors to help me. Well, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking more like, you know, one cell is usually 10 by 10. But, okay. you know, if you use fat enough wood like that, you yeah. can go 12 by 12. Yeah. And, um, and of course, you'll have a five-foot overhang. So, in a way, you end up with something that's, you know, 10 by 15, sort of. That'd be perfect for two horses. Okay. Oh, and so maybe just one... Yeah. Sell is all you need. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I think that 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 could be good. That could be good. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming and looking at my place. (laughs) Sure. Is there anything else? Any other questions about all this stuff? I mean, I'm looking around. I think think you're going to hit 10,000 calories pretty easy. And it sounds like we just came up, we just solved the 12 species thing. Yep. So even though the geese came and did a number on a lot of your crops... Well, I think that I am, I'm heavy on calories with the sunflowers. I don't know that I'll make the 2,000 calorie minimum on anything else except the potatoes and the sunchokes. I'll definitely get there with those two. Right. So I may, you know, I'll just have to try again next year. Okay. Okay. But I had a really fun time doing it, and I think I got close. If nothing else, when it comes to gamcod-like stuff, I mean, you definitely proved that if you start with nothing, you could do it. But you did use horses, which a lot of people aren't going to do. But, you know, um, there's all kinds of other animals that, that could poop this much and, uh, and, and fertilize this much. But I also think it can be done without this kind of fertilizer. And I also kind of think if you do the, the, the big culture around the perimeter, yeah. then it's possible that you can go halfway up that hugel culture and contribute some fertilizer Absolutely. regularly. And we do we do fertilize this ourselves as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't have too many neighbors. You kind of got you kind of yeah, okay. I use the I use the pea jar technique here ah, on right. the land. Okay. Cuz I right. want to be very specific and make sure it goes to, you know, specific plants and it's not all private. Okay. But I think that, I, and I know I could do it all without animals. I partly use the animals because I don't want to do any work. So they manage the work for me. It could be any kind of an animal. Um, it's just an animal storage place. Anytime you have, you're keeping your animals in a small pen because it's winter or because you don't have a lot of land, they produce a lot of organic material. I don't see any wild grasses. Oh, maybe right there. Um Except for the pulverized grain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the lawn did not come back. After that treatment, we did not have a lawn. The sun, the um, the dandelions and the bindweed and the mallow all came back happily after the treatment, but the grass did not. So we don't have a problem of sod. People complain mm-hmm. about sod, and sod is not a problem. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of mallow right here, but I also kind of think that, you know, 
I, I think a primary ingredient here, in, and I think a, a great permaculture gardening thing, is the ability to walk away from a garden. Yes, and I was gone for a full two weeks. I came home in the middle just to check on everything. But um, basically, the garden did not get watered in the hottest part of summer for two weeks, and it looked magnificent. It had been eaten by geese, but it still was full of green and beautiful, and nothing was hurting for water. Okay. All right. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about gardening, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. All the time. In a world on the brink of social collapse, one website stands above the rest to fight back the zombie horde of corporate trolls. Permies.com. Take back control of your destiny and protect your loved ones from the toxic gick coming at you from all directions. Strap on your overalls and start building that bunker of abundance with the good vibes and friendly, helpful insight found at Permies.com.